0: The FT
1: Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week we concentrate on the turmoil in the Middle East following the murder of the American ambassador to Libya and assaults on various US embassies across the Muslim world. Where does this leave President Obama's policy towards the region? What does it say about the internal stability of post-revolutionary countries like Libya and Egypt? And how does it affect other severe regional problems from Syria to Palestine to Iran? Joining me to discuss all these questions are Rula Khalaf, our Middle East editor, and on the line from Washington, Ed Luce, our US affairs commentator. Rula, the controversy, as we all know, was started by this obscure film that insulted the Prophet Muhammad. Um, Is it more or less dying down now, or could it flare up again?
2: I think in North Africa, it has largely died down, but it could move more towards protests against uh, French embassies, because there's now a French magazine that has published cartoons of the prophet. So it seems to have given rise to uh, possibly imitations. Right. And therefore, we could see another wave of protests.
1: And I suppose the fact that this could now be aimed at the French because of the the cartoons, and we've seen previous episodes with the Danish cartoons and going back even further with Salman Rushdie, what does it tell us about the sort of combustible nature of the region, particularly which is coping with this incredible wave of political change in the Arab Spring? I mean, if you're, let's look, say, particularly at Egypt and Libya, post-revolutionary societies, does this tell us anything extra about their internal stability or lack of it?
2: I think we shouldn't exaggerate these protests. They were quite limited in the number of people. And let's not forget that today, for things that people really care about, you get hundreds of thousands of people in the streets very easily. So people might be angered by the protests, but the way that they're expressing it, I think in the majority, they are against the violent protests and the protests that attack American missions in particular. So I think, one, we shouldn't exaggerate, the size. Two, we should also take into account that these are all countries in transition. So security is still a bit precarious. Central government in Libya, for instance, the central government has yet to impose its authority across the country. In Egypt, I think the government was slow in condemning the violence. But at the same time, you know, this is a new political system. The new president comes from an opposition uh, group. So it's, it's taking it's, you know, it's a learning process. And it's it has just taken time to adapt to the new situation.
1: Right now, Ed in Washington, I mean, potentially a murder of an American ambassador tax on, on US embassies just two months or less than two months now before an election could be a disaster for the incumbent Barack Obama. But it doesn't seem to have worked out that way so far. Is, is that your reading of it? That's certainly
3: my reading of it. I mean, I think, um, uh, f- first of all, and most obviously, Mitt Romney intervened, as you know, uh, within well, in real time as the events are happening, first of all, with the demonstrators breaking into the embassy in Cairo and then, second of all, the murder of the ambassador uh, of Chris Stevens in Benghazi. Mitt Romney intervened very counterproductively, very oddly, and very unpresidentially, seeking to question the power patriotism of U.S. diplomatic officials at a time when an ambassador had been murdered, and that really backfired on him, and that became part of the news story in America. In fact, it kind of dominated it for the first day or two of these events. Second, the political terrain has changed in America in terms of national security. Obama's record of stepping up drone attacks, of course, as he loses the opportunity to remind people, the Navy SEAL killing of Osama bin Laden, and the general manner in which his administration has pursued what they don't call the war on terror, but what is in all but name, um, largely a continuation of George Bush's war on terror, has, I think, largely neutralized his vulnerability, his democratic vulnerability to the Republicans on the national security question. And then, of course, as Ruder points out, these demonstrations have died down somewhat in any case.
1: Ruler, uh, nonetheless, although the, the politics of it seem not to have damaged President Obama so much, when you look back at the aspirations that Obama had when he came in, the speech in Cairo, the talking about turning round America's image in the Middle East. I mean, obviously, since then, we've had the Arab Spring. But if you look at opinion poll ratings, America seems not that much more popular than it was under George W. Bush. So is it fair to say that this has been a setback for at least Obama's vision of where he wanted America to be?
2: I think it is fair to say that it's a setback to his vision, but we also have to keep what happened in context and public opinion views of America. What happened with the Cairo speech, Obama's ratings did go up quite significantly in the region. I mean, he had much better ratings than George Bush just by not being George Bush. But, you know, within a year after the 2009 speech, his ratings dropped. And they've remained pretty low. What we need to do today is compare the standing of the US four years ago to the standing of the US today. And just because it is still Obama, and it's not George Bush, I think the standing of the US is better in the region. There was also, I think, a slight improvement with the Arab Spring, particularly the way that they handled Libya. Of course, you know, the Obama administration was quite slow on Tunisia and on Egypt. But I think the intervention in Libya did help uh, the administration. In Libya, the US is a lot more popular than you might think. The demonstrations in support of the US that came after the killing of the ambassador were much larger than the protests at the embassy.
1: Now, Ed, uh, Runa mentions the intervention in Libya. Of course, the other big question, which isn't much debated, but presumably is preoccupying diplomats and national security people, is Syria, 25,000 people dead. Uh, No real question of intervention. But behind the scenes, what do you think uh, the American thinking on Syria is now? Do they just want to push it to one side till after the presidential election?
3: Well, that would be the answer to every single issue um, facing this administration, that the overriding goal is to ensure... No blow-up before November 6th, and, of course, uh, Iran, uh, Israel included. Syria, I think, uh, you know, the Obama administration continues to feel its way. There's no desire to have any direct intervention, but there's also a great deal of awareness for the potential of Syria to blow up the region more generally. Again, in terms of the politics, they're helped by the fact that there isn't really much of a developed position by Mitt Romney on Syria. He is surrounded by a lot of people who would very much like to see war with Iran. But on Syria, there is more circumspection, I think, across the political board in, in America.
1: Ruler, how long can this situation in Syria continue to Rage in this way with so much blood being shed without somehow the outside world being sucked in. I mean, it, can it just go on indefinitely, do you think?
2: I think it can go on for a long time because what's been happening is that the longer it goes on, the more difficult an intervention becomes. It would have been much easier to intervene six months ago, or even a year ago. But the situation on the ground is getting a lot more complicated. And there are all sorts of things that are happening that make it less likely that the U.S. in particular will be able to intervene. Today, we see a lot more reporting on foreign fighters in Syria, for example, um, and that would be a big problem for for the U.S.
1: Foreign fighters of a sort of jihadist nature,
2: exactly. Yes.
1: So the, their worry is obviously that if they intervened on their side, they'd find themselves bizarrely fighting shoulder to shoulder with Al Qaeda.
2: Yes, and I think you know there are memories of Afghanistan in the nineteen eighties, the whole intervention. And I have to say that what we have now in Syria is more of a covert war, which involves Gulf states and Turkey. In support of the opposition. And that could also turn into a complete mess. So on the one hand, it would be much better if you had Europe and the US or some kind of more organized international intervention. On the other hand, the longer you wait for that, the more difficult in practical terms an intervention would be. And
1: Ed, you mentioned uh, the other issue that's looming over everybody, uh, Iran, a very interesting open row, essentially, between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel and President Obama. But it does, from the outside, look like uh, Netanyahu's visible anger with the American administration suggests that he's kind of lost the argument and that the Israelis are not going to go in and, and bomb I- in the sort of immediate future. Is, is that how you see it?
3: That, that's most people's reading of it. I mean, it was interesting last weekend on on all the Sunday morning talk shows, Um, Netanyahu turned up and, you know, he was insisting that he wasn't conducting an open row with President Obama and that he wasn't injecting himself into the presidential election. But of course, he is old friends with Mitt Romney. They both started at the same time at Boston Consulting Group in the early 1970s. And so that suspicion always lingers. I think the one fear there is that even though it's clear Most of the military establishment and security um, and intelligence establishment in Israel is cautious about um, any strike on Iran, that Netanyahu is a wild card, and that over the next six or seven weeks, you you don't know what that wild card is capable of doing. So there is just that fear about Netanyahu.
1: Ruler, last thought then. I mean, it's quite striking going through all the various issues. There's such a, I mean, one always says the Middle East is in turmoil, but you have the potential of a war with Iran. You've got a civil war in Syria. You've got these demonstrations right across the region. Is it going to get worse? Are all these conflicts going to somehow meld together? Or are the Americans going to be able to continue sort of keeping the whole region at arm's length for a while?
2: Well, I think it's obviously not a very pretty picture for the administration, particularly during an election year. But, you know, we are in a transformational phase right now, and we can only expect that it's going to be turbulent, that it's going to be very uncertain. So I think, you know, what we're seeing today will go on for for quite a while, because on the one hand, you have countries in transition. And on the other hand, you have the traditional conflicts in the region that have not been solved. They're still there. You're thinking of Israel-Palestine, so, for example. Exactly. Israel-Palestine, Iran, nuclear controversy. So what's happened this year is that the historic conflicts and the political transitions are now happening at the same time. And it just makes for a, for a combustible mix.
1: And then final thought from you, it also suggests that whoever does win on November the 6th they're not going to get their wish that the Middle East goes quiet and they can concentrate on rebuilding the American economy and pivoting to Asia. It looks like, as perhaps for the last 30 years, America will still have to remain deeply engaged in the Middle East.
3: I think that there's no choice. I mean, the isolationist wing here is being subdued within the Republican Party. And as you know, Obama runs a fairly realist administration, and um, it's unrealistic to expect anything else.
1: Ed Luce in Washington, thank you very much. And Rula Halaf here in the studio in London, thanks also. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com
0: forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.